Well, good morning, good morning. It is good to see you all here today. God is good, amen? Amen. Amen. Well, as you know, I'd like to encourage you always to read the Word of God. So here's here's my encouragement for you today. Read Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Chapter 12, verse 10. Especially that last part, outdoing one another with honor. We typically don't use that word, right? Like, oh, you showed me honor today, right? So really focus in on that. How can you, what is that? When you ask God, God, apply this to my life. And I think after Richard spoke today, I think there's lots of areas, as you can see, we can apply that passage. Also, let me encourage you to constantly pray. I hope you're praying with someone, praying somewhere, constantly praying, because we need prayer. That, that is, prayer is the life source of understanding God's blessings, truly. And the last thing is, as you're praying, are you praying to give the gospel to someone? Are you praying that God will use you, whether that be through your words or maybe just simply through your prayers, praying for someone to come to know Jesus? Someone that's been on your heart that you don't, that you just maybe have a hard time speaking about, don't know how to approach. Let me encourage you. Don't worry about giving the word of God or the gospel presentation incorrectly. It's a major reason why we don't like to do it. We're afraid of saying something wrong. Trust me, God's bigger than you're wrong. He'll deliver it. Remember, I like to always say he used a donkey. He can use you. Okay? Just share it. Just share it. Don't worry about blowing it. Because God, you'll blow it if you try too hard anyways. Just, just give the gospel. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. God, these, uh, these, these words, these uh, in your scripture, Lord, are, are there to give us encouragement to look to Jesus. God, I'm seeing that video of John 3, 16. God, that's, you know, you, you love sinners. God, help us love sinners too so hard to do but God you did it and we know by your power you will empower us to do so God as we come to your word today help us to repent of our sins Lord we are good at at trying to justify our sins and we are good at being judges of others but Lord may we be a judge of ourselves and just lay down our sins before you to know that these sins have been forgiven and there is no power upon us by them anymore Help us, Lord, fill us with love, hope, and peace as we approach your word today so we can live the faith consistently before you. We pray this in your son's name, amen. You know, the, the, uh, the gospel message, right, it's, it's one that provides freedom for us Christians now in this world that's so enslaving. You know, this message of good news is not, it's not a necessarily a do more, try harder message, it's It's a message that says Christ has done it all for you and more through faith in him. So rest in him. Just rest in him. It's a message that states over and over again that, you know, it's finished. It's it's completed. The war has been won. You know, the chains of the the power of sin and death that had a grip on you is now gone. You know, it's a message that you're no longer alone in this world. You're not on your own in this world. You're not left to fend for yourself. You're not abandoned 
to, to carry the weight of the world upon your shoulders. It's not up to you to fix things now, to fix others, or even fix your life before God. For you have no power. You had no power to do such things in the first place. But God sent his son to do all of that for you. Strictly through faith alone in him. God graciously looked upon you and loved you while you were in your sin. And he sent his son to forgive you and to do the very thing that you could never do. Follow God's law perfectly. Christ did all of that in your place by faith in him so that you did not and do not have to endure God's wrath upon you. Justice was served. God's justice for all your sins was placed upon his son on your behalf so you could be set free and adopted into his family so that he would love and cherish you forever. And yet not only was your debt paid by Jesus Christ upon the cross to give you true freedom from the debt of sin that you had before God, Christ's life, death, and resurrection was so great and so extraordinary, so beyond what you and I would expect, that you now can also, that you now will never ever build any debt before God again because of your new sins. You will never be acquiring the wrath and anger from God upon you because of your new sins moving forward. You do not and will not acquire punishment from God because of your sins right now or future ones if you have faith in Christ. You don't have to live in worry or fear that if you mess up, you slip up and fall, have a bad attitude, do something wrong, do something evil, or end up not coming through on something or constantly are struggling with sins. You never have to live in the fear that God's smile will all of a sudden turn into a vicious scowl of hate towards you. Thank you. <laughs> so the idea that you, you never have to worry about that, you don't have to worry about the hammer of wrath that was, that was removed from you will all of a sudden come back and crashing down upon you because you were not good enough and because you became a disappointment to God. No, the, the gospel, the glory of the gospel is that God's hammer of God's eternal wrath has been completely removed from you no matter your performance before him through faith in Christ alone. Because Christ's performance was that great and that awesome in your place. God's wrath, his anger, his justice has been fully appeased, fully quenched by Jesus Christ over you. Hell is no longer your destination and it's no longer on your map of life now because of faith in Christ. You have peace with God that will never be taken away. And honestly, that, that's a relief. At least it should be. 
to know that through your faith in Christ, we never have to worry about building a brand new list of sins that have to be atoned by us now. To know that Christ has fully paid it and has fully dealt with our past, our present, and future sins so we can always be in and rest in God's favorable, loving, gracious presence. I mean, that's, that's the joy of the gospel. Because I, I tell you this, when I look at my life as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a neighbor, as a coworker, and yes, even as a pastor, I see all my failures, and I know that even more failures will come because of my weakness. I know my weaknesses. And yet it's so encouraging to know that despite how bad my sins and failures are and how bad they will be, not because I'm planning on doing them, I'm like, ooh, right? But just, I'm just being honest with myself because I know how weak and how sinful I am. It's empowering to dwell on the absolute truth that's stated in Psalm 103.12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Knowing that it's a huge alleviation of any despair that comes upon me or, or burden upon my soul because of my sins before God. I mean, really, it uplifts the heart and mind when we dwell on such good news. That's the gospel. It's good news. It's not condemning news. It's good news. But yet, because the news is truly good, and because the cross of Jesus Christ is absolutely great, this good news doesn't just stop there. But we're also blessed with even more than this through faith in Christ. For in and through Christ, we are also given everything we need before God in this world and much more. For through faith in Christ, we have blessings upon blessings just given to us because of God's love for us. Not because of anything we have done or can do before him, but solely because of what Christ has done for us. God just gives and gives blessing after blessing. For example, he turns all the things that are meant for evil upon you, all the things that are meant to break you, meant to wreck you, meant to drive you into a pit of loss and despair and keep you there. By God's grace and power over you now, he is able, he's able and does turn it all to work for your good in him. He takes the evil, takes the pain, takes the hardships and redirects it and transforms it to build you up in him and make you more like his son. Even all your failures and sins that you will do and have done and maybe even doing, all of it through faith in Christ will work out for your good in him simply because he loves you. God is always seeking the highest good for you in him in all things, no matter what it is. For this gospel is good news. It is radical news that radically changes everything about you and your life before God. Even if you don't see it or realize it, it is happening because Christ has done it all for you. We just have to come to that realization. 
I know some of you are probably like, well, John, I think, I think you're speaking maybe a little bit overkill here. Like, I think maybe you need to bring it back a little. I mean, the gospel is good news, but like, not that good news. Is it, because is it really that freeing? Because what in the world is like that? That's not how the world works. We don't get blessings in our failures in this world. We don't get good things when we are bad in this world. My friend, the gospel is not from this world, but God himself. He is greater than the world. God's economy of grace is not like the world. For truly it is unconditional, unlike anything in the world. For he needs nothing from you, yet he has given you everything you need and more in his son. Jesus Christ, because he loves you unconditionally. He has a love for sinners. And he wanted to set us free. And Paul reveals and speaks of this great news of the gospel in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 39. I recommend you read it. I recommend you read all of chapter 8 over and over and over and over again. It says in Romans chapter 8, 28 through 39, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That means also you, yourself. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Truly, the gospel is good news. For by it, by God's grace, his unmerited favor, through faith, by trusting in Jesus Christ alone, we are saved. Salvation and restoration between us and God is accomplished and maintained and completed by faith in Christ alone. Jesus did all, did it all, and we get to accept all the gifts and the blessings and the wonders of all his work. 
all his merits simply by trusting in Christ. He did all the work and we get all the blessing. But now you may ask, though, with all that grace is truth, which, by the way, Paul has been extensively going over through chapter 1 through 3 of Ephesians. That's not new stuff. This is stuff he's been going over. The question then would become, what are the consequences in our lives in believing such amazing and truly radical truths and promises of this gospel of God's grace? This this is such a freeing truth in our lives. What are the results that will come about our lives as we live it? If we let gracious truths like this grip our hearts and grip our minds and grip our souls, what does a life that is under the grace of God look like? Or really, what should it look like as we go deeper and deeper into the gospel of God's grace? That he just gives us blessing upon blessings. And my friend Paul is beginning in chapter 4 to answer those questions. And in this section of scripture, he is answering it in the context of the community of the church, you. He is addressing that question in regards to Christians gathering under the name of Christ. So the more we realize these gospel truths that he has spoken in chapter 1 through 3, the more we dwell on what we have been set free, that we have been set free by faith alone in Christ and set free by his works, not our works, this will consequently produce a godliness in us. It will produce good fruits within us. For the gospel is truly good news that brings life to us, that gives us life, that brings freedom and gives us freedom, true freedom. So our title today is A Gracious Community, Part 2. And we'll be looking over chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, and really just focusing on at, uh, at the end of verse 2 today. Now keep in mind, one of the main reasons that Paul's writing this letter is to help two hostile groups of people to come together Jews and Gentiles, to help them realize that there's no more hostility between them, and rather now a unity. They are now one group, one people in Jesus. Through faith in Christ, Christ has broken down any walls that would keep them from each other by breaking down the walls of the law that kept us from God. So through the cross, Christ has united them as one with each other and united them as one under God. And if they keep their focus on Christ... They will be able to live harmoniously with each other despite their differences that were very drastic. They will be able to overcome anything that would separate them. And more plainly, they'll be able to enjoy each other's company and fellowship with each other if they just keep the gospel at the center of their mind and heart. And truly, when you stop thinking you have to fix everyone, you can enjoy them. When you leave the fixing to Jesus and let him do the work, you're you're actually able to have sweet, deep fellowship with other Christians in the Lord who have major differences from you, especially in today's world with all the political rhetoric that's meant to divide. And truly, by keeping our mind upon the gospel, you're able to start enjoying people more in your life by being gracious with them even if they're not believers, because your goal is not to fix them, but rather your goal is simply to point them to Jesus because you know that he is the only one that can fix them. 
For he's doing such a thing with you by his grace, and you don't deserve such a thing. So our attitude and mindset should reflect that grace that we are under as we go out and about in our lives and as we come together under the name of Christ. And that is what Paul's getting at here in verses 2 and 3. He's going after your heart. He's going after your mind. He's going after your attitude all by the grace of God. And in one sense, he is saying that you have entered into God's grace by his grace. You are founded on his grace and you are maintained by his grace. So be a person who reflects that very grace given to you in your life with all those you come in contact with. Yes, even with those in the church who, stro- who are strongly opinionated, who see things differently, and who are difficult to be around because they're so rude. So Paul gives a list, list of characteristics that are produced in, the, in us when we reflect on God's grace. It's a consequence, okay? That's an important word to keep. So he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we've already dealt with the first two, humility and gentleness. So in the next, so the next thing he says is with patience. Paul says we are to be a people of patience. And a lot of times, patience is simply considered waiting. When someone's eager about something, we tell them, hey, just have patience. It'll work out. Just wait for it. But that's not what Paul is necessarily getting at here in the text. So this brings us to our first point. A gracious community reflects the patience of Christ. Here in the text, there is a, 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 biblical, a deeper biblical meaning for patience that involves waiting, but it's more focused on the heart of a person or, char- or the character of the person. It means to be long-tempered as compared to short-tempered. To be long-suffering when things are going wrong in your life, when negative or hurtful or painful things come about you. We are to be patient in how we handle it. And to be a bit more specific here of how that looks like or what should be reflected in you, Paul is basically saying be slow to anger. Slow to wrath. Slow to strike back at whatever it is out of your anger. Or as Psalm 37 verse 8 says, Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourselves. It tends only for evil. That is not saying here, Paul's not saying, I'm not saying that you can't speak truth. Okay? Everyone runs to that. That's not what we're saying. But most likely, if we are short-fused with something or someone, the truth is not necessarily what comes out of our mouths or necessarily what we're concerned about in our hearts. Typically, we strike back out of anger and wrath because we feel that we got to earn our place with whoever or whatever it is. And it doesn't just mean that you necessarily have to physically say or do something to another person. Because remember this, it's a heart thing. So Paul is concerned with all of your life being worthy of the call. He's concerned about all of you. So you cannot be patient with someone by simply ignoring someone. By shutting them down. Shutting them off with anger in your heart because you have no patience with them. Just anger and wrath with them, and they may never know. 
Or maybe they do know, but you won't let them approach you. Or they're afraid to approach you because you have decided your patience has run out with them. So all they can expect or see in your body language or words is wrath, anger, and harshness towards them. All because we feel that we have to set the situation right because we're losing respect or our position before them. Uh, Do you realize who I am? Moment. And sadly, we do it within the church, with members, with family, with co-workers, even friends and strangers. We so easily fall into a short-temperedness, especially in today's world where it just seems like everyone is just so easily agitated with all that's going on. I mean, as of now, politics and medical practices easily make us fall into short-temperedness with each other. So how are you to be then a people who are patient, as Paul stated here? Just look to Jesus. For in him you have all the position, respect, and status and acknowledgement that you'll ever need. He has eternally secured all those things for you by faith in him. You don't need to find those things in people. You are free from such things. You are freed from it all, whether at work or at family or with your family or at church or wherever. You find all your security and dignity and worth in him, not in others, even if they think little of you, for Christ thinks much of you. And that's what brings you patience. Also, I mean, just look to the cross. Look to how God is patient with you. The cross reveals his patience with you directly with all your sins against him. Rather than striking you down, he gives you his love and he gives you blessings. And as you do, as you look to Christ by faith in all things, keeping the gospel of grace at the center of your heart, he will produce the patience in you that you need in all things, with all people, in all situations. You don't, you don't have to muster this up within yourself. You can't do it in the first place. That's the issue. That's the problem. But Christ can and will by faith in him alone. We just need to stop relying upon ourselves and stop relying upon others and situations. We need to look to him for it all, and that's it. For it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, May you be strengthened with all power according to his, God's glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. God will produce such things in you and does. You just need to look to him and stop looking everywhere else. Then Paul says at the end of verse 2, bearing with, another, uh, bearing with one another in love. And this brings us to our second and last point. A gracious community reflects the love of Christ. And what you have here is Paul saying and acknowledging that even though he has stated that all Christians should live their lives worthy of their calling, like being all humble and gentle and patient, that is something that takes a lot of time because not everyone's on the same level. And realistically, not everyone's going to like each other initially and not everyone's going to be best friends. Which is why... Paul uses the word bearing, meaning to put up with or endure. He's basically saying, put up with the offenses. Just put up with the ill behavior. Just 
Overlook the annoyances. Just put up with the wrongs being done to you by other Christians in your life. And I know some of you are probably thinking, well, what about sin, John? We love running to, 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 to justice. It's got to be served. We have to confront the sin, right, John? We can't just let it go, John. That would be irresponsible if we don't. My friend Paul knows that. That's why he says in love. We put up with the wrongs of others in love. Not in vengeance. Not in hate. Not in a critical spirit which we so defend. Say, just giving truth. I'm telling them, just telling them their sin. And yet it's so critical. No, in love. And that term love truly is a summary of all humility and gentleness and patience. Well, you might think, well, how are we supposed to define love? What does that look like and how we're we supposed to approach people and bear with people, John? Come on. I need some concrete stuff. My friend, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, lets us see what that looks like. It says this, love is patient hmm. and kind. Hmm. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. Ouch. It does not insist on its own way. Okay, I'm done. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things. Believes all things, giving the benefit of the doubt. Hopes all things, wanting the best for someone. Endures all things. Love never ends. Unconditional. Notice this call upon all of us, or more specifically, with you is even if the other person is not bearing with you in love, you are to bear with them in love. Now, does this mean you don't point out the sin? No. But there's a way of doing it lovingly, patiently, humbly, gently, and a way of doing it harshly and impatiently, or in a critical spirit to tear someone down. So you know what that means? Even if, you know what this means? I'll tell you, it means this. Even if it's not a sin thing, this also applies to an opinion thing, a political view thing, a medical view thing, a different value thing, a different way of going about life thing. You still have to endure with them in love. Sin or no sin. That's the point that Paul is making here in this text. That is what we're called to endure with each other lovingly. That is is the point no matter the circumstance or situation you're in. We are to always seek the highest good for them whoever it is, and whatever context it is. And for us, 
In this text, the context is in church. The highest good for each other in all things, in all of our interactions with each other. We are to be such a people who endure each other lovingly and not harshly or critically. And so you might ask, well, how are we to do this with people we don't particularly care for? It's true. Okay? I know a lot of you guys don't like me. I get it. (laughs) What do we do with people who easily rub us the wrong way? I know I do. I get it. Even with, what about this? What about even with those outside the church? Because, you know, these qualities don't just stop when you leave this door. Like, oh, we're not gathered anymore, so I can be as harsh as I want now. Mm -mm. How do we deal with this? Just look to the cross. God loves the unworthy sinners. People who truly disregard him and who rejected him. Guess what? Meaning you. Don't worry about the guy next to you. It's you. He gave his love to you who are completely unworthy of it. Yet he loves you unconditionally. You do not deserve it. Yet you get it even as you fail him every day. And if you don't think you are, I promise you are. We can go over some laws in your life. Love your neighbor as yourself. How are you doing with that? God says, if you, uh, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. How are you doing with that? You keeping them all? Shows how much you love him. But yet he still loves you. And as you focus on this unconditional love for you, you will be able to endure with others in love. Why? Because again, the power to love others is not something you muster up in yourself, but it's something that God gives you, something that Christ has obtained for you, and will be done within you as long as you as, as long as you keep leaning more and more into Christ by faith. For it says in Romans 5 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So through looking to Christ alone, you'll be able to be these things listed in the text. This is the wonder and power of the gospel of God's grace in our life through faith in Christ. For this is the call upon you. Through his power and you relying on it by faith in Christ, it produces humility and gentleness, patience and love within you so you can be such things to all people. We have all these things in Jesus. We just need to realize that more and more by faith in Christ, by looking to his gospel and stop looking to ourselves. These characteristics will sprout in us wherever we go and all that we do if we just keep the gospel at hand. It will revolutionize the way you you deal in your relationships with your spouse, your kids, your, your parents, your coworkers, people at the store, your neighbors, or specifically here at church. For we are called to be a gracious community. We are another avenue in which people get to see and experience the grace of God in their life. Not that we save people, but we are the tools in which he uses for people to experience who he is when they're having a hard time seeing it in their life because of sin or some trial going on. It's through you. And through relying upon Christ, We will help them see Christ in the church or wherever we go. For these characteristics go with us wherever we go because Christ is always with us by faith alone. And even if you fail at such things, which I do all the time, know that Christ still loves you and will bless you. And then when you go back and to remember that he still loves you and blesses you, guess what? Consequently, it will enable you to do these things 
when you don't realize you're doing it. Because you're too obsessed with Jesus than the person who's annoying you. So let us encourage one another to be a gracious community always by relying upon Jesus and pointing to Jesus in all things. For truly, he has done it all for us just by faith alone. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the fact that we were able to come together and worship you. God, thank you for the reminder of what you have done for us. You're gracious and patient and loving and, and you, you're in all humility came to serve us by sending Jesus Christ. God, I pray that if someone's having a hard time right now in their relationship, maybe with their marriage or at work or maybe with a coworker or maybe with a neighbor or maybe someone in the church, whatever context, maybe with their own children, God, I pray that this mindset of grace will be implanted upon their heart and that they'll be able to be gracious and that your light will shine through to encourage them and to encourage the very person they're having a hard time with. That their hearts will be melted by grace. And God, I pray if someone doesn't know you today, that today be the day that they come to know you to realize how much you love them and you have been patient with them. And you want them to be with you. God, I pray that today, right now, wherever they're at in this room or online, that they say they need a Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray this in your Son's name.